0: Welcome to the Heart of Leaders podcast, where each week we'll be exploring the frontiers of leadership with those who lead from the heart and put their people first, knowing that ultimately, all team accomplishments are driven by people. They know that when they take care of their people, their people will take care of customers, lower costs, and drive customer loyalty and company profitability. These leaders believe that for most companies, culture trumps strategy. And culture starts with how you treat your people and how they treat each other. I'm your host, Rick Barrera, head of faculty for the Heart of Leaders training program in Denver, Colorado, where we teach extraordinary leaders how to build and lead high-performance teams who can consistently deliver exceptional results. I'm very excited to have Amy Young joining us today. Amy is vice president and general manager of Davida Clinical Research, where she leads a team of research professionals focusing on bringing new treatments to market. I've known Amy for a few years now, and she's one of the smartest, most competent executives with whom I've had the pleasure to work. She's a scientist by training with a degree in biology and chemistry, so she can talk tech when she needs to, but she's equally adept at branding, strategy, marketing, sales, customer service, operations, and clinical services. You name it, and Amy is right at home and supremely competent. Plus, she's a really nice person who you just can't wait to hang out with. Amy was an explorer in our 2016 Heart of Leaders program, and she joined the faculty this year to teach the Enneagram. It was one of the highlights of the program, and in my coaching calls with explorers, they bring up their Enneagram style and talk about how it's helped them to get closer to their teams by being clearer about who they are and what they expect. Hello, I'm Rick Barrera, head of faculty for the Heart of Leaders training program, and I'm your host for the Heart of Leaders podcast. Today, we're going to get to know Amy... In our next episode, we're going to get Amy's Best Leadership Secrets. Amy, welcome.
1: Thanks, Rick. Great to be here.
0: So where did you get your passion for science?
1: You know, I was just always a curious person, Rick. I was probably one of those annoying little kids who just constantly asked why. And science, when I found it, was both the answers but also the pathway to getting to that why, um, how it works, what's the nature of our world, um, and the other thing that I just really liked about it is is that process part of it, right? It's, it's the pathway to gaining more clarity and a logical approach to things.
0: Well, that's interesting. So what was it like growing up as a girl being a science nerd? It wasn't very popular back then. It is now, but it wasn't back then.
1: No, but I also grew up as this Midwestern girl, so I don't know. I found myself growing up trying to just fit in with the boys in every way, Um, fishing, hunting, learning to ride motorcycles, um, all those kinds of things that boys did, and, you know, boys did science, too, and why couldn't I just fit in with the boys? So, I don't know, I never really felt like um, like it was harder or different being a girl uh, in science, although there's definitely places where you notice that you're, there's not very many other girls around. Hmm.
0: So, where'd you get all your confidence? You're pretty fearless.
1: <laughs> you know, I would say that I have what I like to refer to as like a growth mindset rather than sort of a fixed mindset. I see shortcomings or challenges as really just things that I can't do yet. Um, I I categorize the world into two different things, things I can do now and things I can't do yet. Um, And so I think really because of that attitude, I just am willing to try and fail. Um, And the failure part doesn't bother me because I just see it as a yet thing. And so I think that's where a lot of the confidence comes from because I'm willing to just go out there and do it.
0: Well that's pretty cool. Uh you've obviously read the mindset book.
1: I have. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you sound like you're quoting her. I can't remember the author's name, but
1: Yeah, she's she talks about growth and and fixed mindsets. Um and I agree with that thinking, right? I mean, it's and I think that's where I get my confidence from.
0: So were you you know, were you always that confident though?
1: Yes. I mean, I just... <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was no time in your childhood when you were not confident.
1: <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I think I've always just had this predisposition to thinking I've totally got this thing.
0: So how, where did that come from? Did that come from your parents? What, what were, how were you raised?
1: <laughs> you know, I mean now you're asking a very deep question, Rick. this is like
0: nature versus nurture yeah right? i am um, I'm, I'm I'm curious
1: i mean i have I have two brothers, I'm the middle girl of two boys um and my both of my brothers are very different from me, um so I do think some of it is really just how I'm wired as a human um so but my parents both mean you know, my dad was a businessman. Um, My mom stayed at home until I was in junior high and then she went back to school to become a teacher. And they definitely supported any challenge that I wanted to do. I think that was certainly a part of it, right? Anything that I wanted to try and I wanted to try a lot of stuff. I actually remember my mom and she would probably still say this. She used to have to limit how many things I could sign up to try. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm only yeah. gonna I'm only gonna drag you around to four different classes this year. So decide which ones are gonna be. <laughs>
0: and, and your brothers were not the same.
1: No, they you know they found their things and they liked doing them, but they weren't as um, sort of let me experience and try all kinds of things and and see which ones I like.
0: So not as curious as you were.
1: Yeah, and maybe that's what it is, right? It's just that curiosity, and I want to know.
0: So, what's the weirdest thing you ever tried?
1: <laughs> In terms of activities, um, yeah, I don't know. Gosh, I don't know, Rick.
0: <laughs> Ch- chess club, pole vaulting.
1: <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, I did I, like as especially as a kid, I tried just about every activity that you could try. Like I did gymnastics, which like you, I, I'm five ten. There's you know, I was a tall girl. There was there was no way I was ever going to be a gymnast, <laughs> right? But I tried that. I tried ballet. I tried tap dancing. I was in a play. I was in a musical. Um, I tried lots of different instruments. I did cooking classes. I learned how to ride a motorcycle with my older brother.
0: Which which motorcycle?
1: Uh, it was like a little dirt bike, hmm. just a, a little trail bike. I know how to bondo a car. because my older brother was a gearhead, and he liked to fix up old, he had two old, just junk Mustangs. (laughs) Um, And those things didn't have floorboards, they had holes, so I learned how to rivet floorboards in and Bondo the car. I don't know, I just, it was always just interesting for me to try things, so I just always said yes to any experience at least once.
0: Well, very cool. So, Take us through your career trajectory, because you're very young, no pun intended, to lead such a high-profile company. Yeah. Started college. Where'd you go to college? Sorry,
1: sorry. When I started, actually, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Okay. I disliked how the professors didn't actually care about you in the big institutions, and I switched to a tiny little liberal arts school here in Minneapolis called Augsburg, and that's where I finished my degree in biology and chemistry. I didn't really know what I wanted to do after that. I thought maybe med school, maybe grad school. Um, Definitely always really liked medicine and science and research that I knew. Um, And so in preparation, to what I thought was going on to medical school. I did a lot of clinical jobs when I was in college. So sometimes people worked at the bookstore or Taco Bell or something, right? I I worked at the nursing home in the hospital and was drawing blood and doing direct patient care. And that's actually what got me the job at DaVita. I'd graduated, again, trying to figure out, I was taking the MCATs, trying to figure out what was next. And I was working at a hospital I really just wanted to stop working night shift. That was was how I (laughs) accidentally—that was how I accidentally came to dialysis (laughs) because they were not open at night and they were closed on Sundays. And I thought that was really cool at the time. So, and then I just completely fell in love with nephrology because it was this really cool intersection of biology and all the really complicated processes that go on when you understand how the kidney works or doesn't work. Um, I got really excited about that. And right away when they were training me on dialysis, the trainer said, hey, you've got this great science background. Why aren't you on our research team? Uh, And I said, yeah, why am I not in your research team? And so I quickly moved into that role and just loved it right away. It was this really cool intersection of science and medicine. I didn't like the business part until later, so initially what drew me in was that that mixture of science and medicine and people.
0: Tell our listeners what nephrology is.
1: Nephrology is the specialty that cares for people that have kidney disease, and the the kidneys do all kinds of really cool things in your body. They're kind of the balancing system of everything, like like your salt levels, your potassium levels, your hormones, Um, it manages how much calcium you have in your bloodstream, what your hemoglobin level is, and lots more. Um, And so there's a lot of really kind of complicated feedback loops and if-then things that happen in the kidney that were just exciting to me because they're complicated biological processes.
0: Okay. So there's
1: that nerd coming out, Rick.
0: I like it. So you <laughs> so <laughs> that's why you're on the faculty. We need one of everything. <laughs> even a nephrologist. Even if I don't know what it means. So you're you're you got into the whole nephrology into the the dialysis unit, then they ask you into the research piece and then what?
1: Yeah. So um Then I started doing the study procedures and study work and helping actually administer these projects where we're evaluating and testing new drugs in humans and new devices in humans. Um, And it was really exciting and I spent the, the first probably five or six years of my career really mastering and learning a lot of different aspects of that. Um, the ethics components of it, the um, just the plain old operations and clinical aspects and how you get that done and what are the most important things, um, uh, how you make sure that you can do it in a way that uh, prioritizes patient safety and the integrity of the data that you produce. I see it as my job in research to help the drugs that should succeed succeed and help the ones that should fail to fail right Um, my job is to produce accurate data and keep patients and the people who are participating at the forefront of that
0: so you got into the research side then uh, how did you end up as the as the leader
1: I have this propensity uh, to just kind of see gaps in places. And then I like to sign up and ask for extra things. And that's really, I think the, the core of what got me all the way through to all these different jobs in a single organization. So, you know, I would see a problem that says like, Hey, you know, we've got these different sites around the country and there's nobody experienced they, they can talk to and how can we help them grow? And then that's what got me into being the project manager and helping sites at a nationwide level, grow and helping other people develop their research skills. So there were a series of those, right? Where I just said, "Oh, well, I see that that's a need, or I think we could do a better job." Um, and then I was willing to sort of sign up for that, right?
0: So you're, yeah, you're willing to step up and take a leadership role. So right. So you have some natural leadership tendencies.
1: Right, and I've also, I think, been around some really cool people. That have been willing to teach me and have been willing to answer questions no matter how basic or elementary and I've also done just a ton of reading. Um, There's so many great resources out there on almost anything that you need to know how to manage profitability, marketing, branding, all kinds of things. And so I've just been a voracious reader as well. And then I'll try and test those concepts out with people that I know that have more expertise than I do and um, ask them what they think. And I just was willing to try things.
0: Well, that's good. So, you know, we have a mantra at the Heart of Leaders program, which is that leaders are readers. So that certainly fits right in. You got to be growing and learning all the time if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be leading others and being on the forefront. So, so right. that's kind of cool. So you're a yeah. uh, you're a wife and a mom, and you travel extensively. How do you juggle all that?
1: <laughs> um, I do it through explicit agreements with my husband and my son and my family. Um, and this sort of changes over time, right? I mean, I remember when my son was really little and we had to first figure out what the boundaries were and how to manage that and get it done. Um, and it and it just, it changes over time. And I think the way that I do that is to, to sit down and say, these are the most important things. And to my husband, are, are those important to you? And then the scariest thing of all that I do, and I don't do it as frequently probably as I should, but I ask him, how am I doing on those and how am I meeting those? And and so between the two of us, we, we really figure out, okay, what are each of us willing to do in this partnership? <laughs> Who is, who's better at what and how do we divide and conquer?
0: So so right? give and me an example. In- Cause this is, this is, a I, I like the, I love the fact that you said this, these are explicit agreements and not implicit and not, you know, sort yeah. of, you know, you didn't wander into them. You're, you know, you're really articulating them. So how do you do that? Give me some right. examples.
1: Well, travel was probably one of the biggest ones. It's, and especially in, when our son was really little, it was a lot harder than it is now. So, you know, he said to me, I want you to travel less. And I said, yep, okay, I get that. And I, I it's a really critical part of my job. And so what does less mean, <laughs> right? So there was a couple of things we came to, right? One is that I actually track my, my nights away, And we sat down and talked about, especially when he was, when our son was little, right? Like the whole bath time, bedtime routine thing with little kids is important. Um, And so we agreed. I said, hey, if I'm not home for bath time, that counts as a night away. Even if I'm home at 10 o'clock that night and I still sleep in our bed, right? I was not present for parent duty. So that counts as a night away. And then we set a target of what percentage I would travel. And then we looked at it and said, "Okay, does that still feel good? And are are we all, are all the needs still being met?" And so coming to that explicit agreement and how we measure it and what's good and what isn't was, I think, what helped us get through it.
0: So then, obviously, you have to be ruthlessly prioritizing at work in order to make sure that you're only traveling for the most critical things. Right. Wow. Well, that's you've certainly done it well, and I and you're. Does your husband work also, or is he full-time?
1: He's full-time at home, which has been a really neat experience, and a surprising one. This could probably be a podcast on its own. He and I definitely had lots of surprises. You know, I walked into that thinking that we were in a very modern and evolved society, and that men staying home was like no big deal anymore, Yeah. Um, but we definitely ran into a lot of tropes and stereotypes and and all kinds of weird things along the way so uh I, I would say that we've 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 come a long way but we have not conquered the uh traditional roles that people put on men, men and women yet
0: yeah that, that would be an interesting podcast so yeah. maybe if our listeners are interested we'll we'll spin one off and you and your husband can do it i'll, I'll moderate <laughs> right so what do you do for fun
1: Uh, I love music. Um, I love to hike. Uh, I'm always up for a good movie.
0: What's the best movie you've seen recently?
1: Well, you know, I really loved Hidden Figures. I watched recently. That was such a window into history that I just, it hadn't even occurred to me. I hadn't really even thought about it. And I thought they did such a nice job of showing how those women really influenced our journey to space.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of hidden figures in every industry that we don't mm-hmm. realize and talk about. Rick Searfoss, our astronaut, talks about one of the hidden figures in his life who, you know, a woman who probably saved his life every day and he didn't even know she existed for most of his career. Mm. Pretty pretty interesting stuff. So what, what are your favorite kinds of movies? Are you a, a drama fan or...
1: I actually like a lot of sci-fi. Um, Shocking. I grew, <laughs> I grew up, you know, my dad was actually a Trekkie. Um, so I grew up watching like every every Star Trek. Loved all the Star Wars st- stuff. Um, Have you seen the and newest I love, one? Not yet. Um, we're going to go see that at the theater soon. And I love a good suspense movie. Um do you remember it's an old movie now, but did you ever see Usual Suspects?
0: That's my favorite movie of all yes, time.
1: Right? Like I love that little mm-hmm. twist at the end and the suspense. Um I love movies like that.
0: Yeah. Harry Potter, Star Wars and the Usual Suspects. Those are my big three. Yes.
1: Yes, agreed.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned no wonder we get along so well. Right. <laughs> so you're quite the musician too. What instruments do you play?
1: Um well, is the question which instruments do I play well, or which ones do I
0: play? Uh, uh, both. <laughs> let's just talk about both. <laughs> the breadth is kind of amazing to me for a woman whose job it is to be a scientist and who travels extensively. <laughs>
1: um, well, piano was my first love and is, is probably the, the, the primary instrument. I started playing that when I was four years old, and my wonderful mother was my first piano teacher. Um, then it was flute, piccolo, xylophone, I had a brief stint with the oboe, but I'm not sure I'd really count that. I don't (laughs) know if I could play it anymore. (laughs) Um, and then recently I've been teaching myself to play guitar and bass guitar.
0: So you can rock out.
1: That's right. (laughs) And you know, the funny thing about the bass guitar, Rick, is it's, it's the same story that I told you about leadership. Uh we have a little band in my organization that we call the excluded criteria. And we have this <laughs> Yep. <That's> a... <laughs> it had to be kind of nerdy. Yeah. Um we have a guy who was a guitar major in college and he was playing the bass only because nobody else knew how to play it and I thought, Oh my god, what a waste. Right. This guy is like lead guitar material. Um, and so I said, well, I'm going to learn how to play the bass just so I can listen to him play lead guitar. And, and then, there you go. And there I go. And I started playing bass and I actually really, really like it. And it's been a lot of fun.
0: You fill in the gaps and the team does better. That's right. So where do you find time for all of this?
1: <laughs> you just shuffle it all in. You know, sometimes you don't spend a lot of time playing an instrument or doing something else. But, you know, I think thinking about the things that you enjoy, like for me, playing instruments is one of them. I don't see it as an extra. I see it as sort of essential to maintaining my own spiritual health. Right. And so... Um, It's just like anything else. Sometimes you go a long time without doing it, and then you get to the point where you say, okay, now it's time to take a break and fit that in. But to me, it's about making sure that you have your priorities straight.
0: Pretty amazing. So do you ever watch TV? Yes. What do you watch?
1: (laughs) On demand, so I can do it on my own (laughs) time. You've structured your Um, world
0: so that it pretty well serves you.
1: That's right. I am currently just enthralled with Game of Thrones. And even though I've watched the whole thing, I'm re-watching it um, because I loved it so much. And it's actually such a complicated storyline that I've, I've actually picked up stuff I missed on watching it again.
0: Well, I, I have yet to watch Game of Thrones, so I'm, I'm odd man out on that one, but I'll have to jump in. So where did your passion for business come from?
1: you know, it kind of developed along the way. I already told you from a career perspective, I started really with the sort of science and clinical aspects. And as I started to engage in more and more um, business kinds of roles and overseeing financial functions and other things, I, I think for me, the passion isn't necessarily about understanding how to talk about the GL with the accounting team or looking at the marketing strategy for the next year. I think to me, the passion is about the big picture and really helping a team fulfill the mission and vision. And that's where the passion for business comes because business to me is, that's just a tool, right? There's there are tools in the toolbox to um, fulfilling a purposeful life and, and making a difference. And I can do that when I have business skills, right? Because I can make things happen.
0: And so what is it you feel like you're doing vision, vision and mission-wise at DeVita?
1: Yeah, we are shaping the future of medicine in the research team, for sure. So often we don't understand how we actually get our medicines, right? We walk into our local Drugstore with our prescription, and we hand it to the pharmacist, and they hand something back. But if it weren't for the thousands of people who chose to volunteer and and be part of those clinical trials, we wouldn't have those new treatments.
0: Yeah, they're they're guinea pigs. You're you're sticking them with drugs, right? They're you're... they
1: are choosing to participate. <laughs> Rick.
0: <laughs> no, I get that, but I mean, you know, they. In essence, that's what they're volunteering to do. They're, you know, they're taking drugs which, you know, may or may not necessarily be good for them and yeah. being tested. Yeah, it's,
1: it's absolutely true. Um, and and I hope that as a society, we can start to develop a little more appreciation for that. Um, you know, it would be neat if somebody could come home and at the dinner table say, Hey, you know what? I'm participating in this clinical study and feel proud that they're helping shape the future of medicine rather than, I think right now people think it's weird. Right. And like, why would you sign up to do that?
0: I think it's brave is what I think. I think it's, (laughs) you know, I, I went to your facility and I, you know, looked at what you were doing and I was, I was blown away by the number of people who are there you know, volunteering to do that. It's pretty, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's brave. It's very heart led.
1: It is. And, you know, we have some really neat stories from participants. Um, One guy had been a general contractor his whole career. He'd made a, a good living. He had kidney disease. He was participating in studies with us. And for those that don't know, you usually get paid sort of a stipend, right, for travel and time expenses for participating in a study. And this gentleman, I'll never forget, sat down and told me that he was giving away all of the money that he earned from doing studies because he wanted to pay it forward, right? He said, had other people not done this, I wouldn't have the treatments and therapies that I have today when I come in for dialysis.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: That's really cool, isn't it?
0: It is. It's all about love. Yeah. So tell us about your experience as an explorer in the Heart of Leaders program. We we call our participants explorers because we're all exploring the potential of heart-led leadership. So tell us about your experience there.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think there's a couple of things that stand out for me in terms of my experience as an explorer. One is I found it really enriching to be in a group of people from very diverse industries. I think so often as you advance in your career, you end up either in sort of company kinds of trainings or industry kinds of trainings where you're sort of surrounded by people who all have either similar educations or similar backgrounds. And so part of what I really enjoyed was the different perspectives and the different challenges that my fellow explorers had when they went back to their teams and were trying to bring some of these things back. And it definitely made me think in new ways and take some of their ideas of things that from their industries and their backgrounds that maybe wouldn't have made it into my spaces. That was one really cool thing. And then the other thing I think is really neat is just the combination of experiential learning and sort of didactics and lectures and reading. And there's just nothing that can replace that being in a place having an experience whether it's in nature whether it's some kind of designed experience right but those are the things that help you say oh here's the nugget that I'm going to take away from from that class from that moment
0: yeah we had we had a lot of fun creating those experiences for you to go through and it's fun to watch the various groups go through them because everybody gets something different from it yeah Excellent. So, Amy, as always, you're awesome. We'd like to get you back to share some of your leadership wisdom for our next episode. Can we get you to commit to that?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. All
0: right. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Would you like to meet Amy Young in person and hang out? You can. Just make the decision to join us for the next Heart of Leaders training program in Denver. Call us right now at 858 248 3162 or go to Heart of Leaders Podcast com. We believe that Heart of Leaders is a movement started by boomers, accelerated by Gen Xers, and demanded by millennials. To learn more, find us online at heartofleaderspodcast.com, where we blog, post articles, and book reviews, and respond to your questions. We invite you to join the conversation.